Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 128 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Hands up anyone who's forgotten to do something around the apiary this autumn. I made a discovery yesterday that proves we're all just stumbling our way to beekeeping excellence, so stay tuned to hear of my minor faux pas, some exciting equipment news, and we have another new member of the team to introduce. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypaw Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypaw Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypaw. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Hello and welcome to the podcast. For everyone currently signed up to Patreon, don't forget the community tab at the top of the homepage. This is where you can chat with each other, post pictures and ask questions for everyone to interact with. If you have a more pressing question, remember you can always message me direct. So, can you believe we're heading into the last week of September already? I guess being busy most days helps with that, but it always seems a bit of a surprise when we reach the end of each month. Maybe it's an age thing. Although, as a youngster, I can remember school terms seeing to last forever and school holidays going by in the blink of an eye. I spent most of my holidays either fishing getting up to mischief, or staying at my grandparents' house in a little village called Buxton, which is just a few miles north of Norwich. My grandfather had quite an influence on me, I think, although I don't think either of us really appreciated it at the time. I would spend hours watching him tend his fruit and veg garden, producing eye-watering amounts of fresh food that he would mostly distribute amongst his immediate family, that's my dad and two uncles, He kept rabbits and chickens, rabbits for show and chickens for eggs and the pot. And I guess what I didn't realise at the time was my grandparents had a fairly simple but fantastic lifestyle. The reason for my nostalgic trip back to my childhood is to emphasise the point about watching. I used to watch my grandfather constantly, seeing how he planted the fruit and veg, how he watered it, some plants just a little, but others would get a real soaking. I have no doubt he made plenty of mistakes with his gardening, but time and fond memories dull those instances, leaving just the pleasant picture of ripening apples and huge crops of potatoes and onions. Anyway, watching. Ask yourself a question. How often, when you're out inspecting either your bees or sharing the experience with other beekeepers, do you actually watch what's happening? It takes a lot of effort to maintain that concentration through an inspection and to then see what's going on. I urge you to have a plan in mind when you go to your bees and know what it is that you want to focus on, but promise yourself you'll keep a close eye on what you're looking at and try to understand what you're seeing. At this time of the year, the focus is really completely different to either the early spring or midsummer trips to the bees. 
there won't be a great deal of inspecting happening from now on. So what is it that you can look for now to confirm that all is well within the hive? Well, there will be pollen coming in. For me, it's mostly ivy right now. Often bright yellow, as with most things, there will always be some natural variation in colour, but you'll see the bees coming back laden with pollen, and it's a vital source of protein for the coming winter months. You may also see wasps still trying to squeeze their way into the hive. A strong colony, of course, will have no problem defending their entrance, but weaker colonies may find themselves overwhelmed without your intervention. So be prepared with a piece of foam to reduce the entrance to just a couple of bee spaces. There may be a collection of dead drones scattered around the hive. Easier to see if you have a solid base beneath your hive, but you may still see some in the tangle of grass and weeds if, like me, you haven't had time to trim the grass around the hive stands. At this time of the year, drones will generally be evicted from the hive and left to die. It happens every year and is a consequence of the boys only really having two main functions, eating their way through the colony stores and mating with whatever virgins they can get hold of during their mating flights. Given that colonies won't be producing any queens over the winter period, it makes no sense in keeping these eating machines around to use up vital supplies. The result is usually a tug of war as female workers grapple with their oversized brothers, dragging them out of the hive, sometimes dead, sometimes alive, flying off with them and dropping them away from the hive before going back to search for more. Any drones that try to squeeze back in will doubtless get a cold reception, and thus you may find them on the floor around the hive. I've seen a couple of hornets drifting around the colonies over the last week. They perform what's known as hawking in front of the hive, hovering a short distance away from the entrance, ready to grab at any unsuspecting bees that drift into its path. This is, of course, the European hornet, Vespa crabro in Latin, not to be confused with the Asian hornet that is our current worry, or in fact, the giant Asian hornet, another beast of an insect that we have to explain to those not in the know that's not something we currently have to be concerned about here in the UK. I've not seen many of our native European hornets this year. Maybe it's just that I've not been watching closely enough. Although last year we had a fantastic hornet's nest in a bird box at the Fishing Lakes apiaries. It was massive, maybe two feet in length and easily a foot wide. Here I remind you all that I'm an angler, so dimensions do sometimes get a little exaggerated. But honestly, it was magnificent in every way. Going back to watching the bees, what else might you see? Well, believe it or not, I've had a couple of reported swarms this last week. Not my own, but other beekeepers. It's highly unlikely that you'll have colonies swarm, so don't panic. But it is worth keeping a watchful eye out for clusters of bees in hedges and trees within your apiary. Sadly, there's not much that these swarms can do at this time of the year, unless you happen to have a nuke box filled with drawn comb at the ready, and any colony that has somehow let a swarm go will then be struggling to produce a properly mated queen and is in danger of becoming a drone layer over winter. I've had this happen a few times, most notably a couple of years ago. I inspected a colony to remove some treatments and thought they seemed really low on bees from what I remember from the time that I put the treatments in. 
a quick check revealed that there were probably only half the number of bees, if that, and an emerged queen cell that looked like a nailed-on supersedure cell, middle-of-the-frame, textbook position. What do the textbooks know anyway, I thought. Nothing much to do with this colony but to close them up and help them through the winter. I did go through the frames. There were no eggs, no larvae, no sealed brood, and it was about this time of the year, around the last week of September. They had a reasonable amount of food, so I popped a block of fondant on them and kept a watchful eye. Fast forward to midwinter and time for the oxalic acid treatments. I was using the trickle method on this particular apiary, and so lifting the crime board, I saw a small cluster of bees. It was a mild day, so I split it open and saw eggs and a nice but small patch of worker brood, capped and looking quite nice. I treated them, added more fondant and closed them back up. Jump another couple of months forward to early spring and these were one of the first colonies to get a quick check. And yep, I removed a couple of frames and my heart sank as it was full of drone brood. And I can take a fairly good guess at what has happened here. The queen will have emerged and flown out on her mating flight, but rather than being able to mate with multiple drones, probably only mated with one or two reducing the amount of sperm that she would have available. Alternatively, she may have mated with more drones, but developed some kind of blockage that has prevented her from releasing the sperm to fertilise the eggs. Remember, female workers are a result of a fertilised egg. Drones develop from unfertilised eggs, a process known as parthenogenesis. This is a form of asexual reproduction, where growth and development occurs without fertilisation by sperm. Either way, the colony had failed, and all I could do was to shake them out and begin the clean-up process of the hive. Now, I'm not saying that every late-season mating is doomed. It's just the percentage chances of a successful mating reduce as each day passes from summer into autumn and on into winter. So as you close your colonies down for the winter, keep a watchful eye at the entrance and understand what you're looking at and why the bees are doing what they're doing. And it will help you notice when things are not quite right and spur you into action. Okay, so now it's Stuart's cocked it up again section. This is the part where I hold my hands up and let you all know that we can all still make mistakes. I kind of like doing this. It's part confessional, but more, I hope, a way of helping you understand the errors that can be made and dealing with them to benefit the bees. So this week I was at the Fishing Lakes Apiaries and topping up feeders with sugar syrup and I noticed there was one colony that didn't seem to be quite right. This is my point about watching and seeing what's going on. It wasn't anything to do with the bees, more the actual setup of the hive. It just didn't look right. I went over to the hive in question and lifted the roof, having given the entrance a little bit of smoke, just to calm the bees. It immediately became apparent what I had, or rather, what I hadn't done. There was still a clearer board on the hive. I'd removed the supers, and this particular hive is a commercial brood box, so plenty of room for the bees to store honey to overwinter, and I decided not to feed them, because they had a pretty full brood box of stalls. This had led me to ignore them for the past few weeks and obviously I'd forgotten to take off the clearer board. I used the rhombus type of clearers with an eek so there's room beneath for the bees to clear into. 
and I think you can tell what's coming. The space beneath the eek was now rammed with comb and ivy nectar. When I lifted the board, half the burr comb came away with the board and the rest remained fixed to the top bars of the brood frames. Nectar dripping everywhere, and where on earth do those wasps suddenly appear from? It was like I was ringing the dinner bell. The easiest solution to this small challenge was to clear it all away. A quick puff of smoke over the top bars and the bees disappeared below, allowing me to use my hive tool to scrape away the burr comb. Nectar dripping everywhere, and I dropped it into a waste bucket. Don't leave it on the ground, it will only encourage robbing. The crime board and roof were put back on quickly to prevent the wasps from causing even more of a problem, and I gathered up all of the wax to take away and add to our render bucket. When you have a lot of hives, it's easy to miss the odd issue, and they can normally be resolved fairly quickly and easily. It looks as if we're going through the winter with around 100 colonies. I've been uniting a few smaller colonies and counting up as we go. It will be a mix of nukes and full-size colonies. Last year was a good year for us and we didn't lose any colonies until very late. I think it ended up being four or five in total. And if we hold to that again this year, I'll be very pleased. More of our colony count and overwintering success or otherwise in future podcasts. But now on to some exciting news about equipment. It's not often I get a chance to make multiple purchases of equipment from my wish list, but recently I got a message from Pete who'd spotted some kit online that he knew I would be interested in. After some intense negotiations, actually just a couple of text messages, I'd secured the purchase. So sudden was it that Steph remarked, oh, that all happened rather quickly. I like to think of us as a team and I chat through everything that we're doing with both Steph and Pete. Talking of which, we have a new team member, but more of that in a second. The equipment I'm oh so happy about is actually three bits of kit. A sump, a pump, and a 30-frame extractor. The sump takes honey from the extractor, wax, debris and all, and allows it to run through a series of sieve screens so that it's pretty much clean and ready for bottling at the other end. The pump will allow me to pump the honey from the sump into our largest settling tank, currently just 100 kilos before pouring it into storage buckets and putting it away. And the extractor will allow me to extract three supers each time instead of the two that I currently extract. The existing extractor I have is a 20 frame version. I'd never be able to purchase all three of these new and the beekeeper selling them is upgrading to larger kit. So it's a win-win as they say. I'll talk some more about the setup Once I've collected it all this weekend, no doubt there'll be a video or two demonstrating it all. At least the setup. We've extracted all the honey this year, so it will have to be mothballed until the next harvest. Last but not least, we have a new member of the team, Katie. Katie is going to help me manage my social media posts, something I'm not terribly great at. We take lots of pictures throughout the year, but never seem to have the time to upload them for you all to see. Katie is going to manage this for me, and will hopefully be getting lots more help and advice posted for you at the same time. In return, I'm helping Katie build on her beekeeping experience through training, help and guidance through the season. And Katie's also going to be managing our beekeeping training days. So if you're interested in maybe a weekend of beekeeping here in Norfolk with me and the gang, 
then watch out for the details as they come out. We're thinking beekeeping, barbecues and more for next summer when hopefully we're out of the COVID-19 troubles and able to get together again. Well, that's it for this week. Links to relevant information will, as usual, be in the podcast notes. But until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Sweet.